Amen. We are starting to wrap up our study of Ecclesiastes. If you're new to Grace Fellowship, if you're visiting with us first, welcome. Glad that you're here. One of the things that we do here at Grace is we, uh, we work our way through whole books of the Bible. And so uh, for January and now into February, we're working our way through the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is an Old Testament wisdom book. Uh, and like other wisdom books, it wants to teach us wisdom. Uh, and the definition of wisdom is how to live well in God's world. Now, what makes Ecclesiastes different is the perspective from which it approaches that. Uh, the preacher of Ecclesiastes, and that's the voice that we hear in this book, he calls himself the preacher or the teacher. Uh, he aims to teach us wisdom, but by popping all of our bubbles. Uh, so he wants us to, to, to look at all of the things that we usually grip so tight and try to find our meaning in and get satisfaction out of, right? If my, if my children will just grow up this way, then I'll be happy. If my husband will just be this way, then I'll be happy. If my wife will just be this way, then I'll be happy. If I get this job... Or if this deal goes through, if there's a Republican in the White House, then I'll be happy. And what the preacher does is he goes, he pops all those bubbles and says, no, none of those things will make you ultimately happy. That's not how life works under the sun in a fallen world. And so it can be a bit of a, a downer. But he does this so that we can get a better perspective on the short life that we have. And so as we begin to close out the book, the, the preacher begins to draw some conclusions. Last week, he told us that death is a teacher. Uh, that, that grief is something, rather than to be avoided, is something to be leaned into. That we can learn from grief and sorrow, actually deep joy. What it means to be deep, thick, rich people. Not by avoiding grief and sadness, but by actually, as the hymn says, tracing the rainbow through the rain. That's where we learn joy. Today, uh, we're going to continue some of those conclusions in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Uh, so if you would, open your Bibles there. If you don't have a Bible, please grab the one that's in the rack in front of you. If you're using that one, it's page 557. You'll need it because we're going to refer to those verses throughout Ecclesiastes 9, verses 1 through 12. Let's give our attention to God's word. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. It's the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he, he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. 
Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white, let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. And ask for his help. Lord, again, as we come under the teaching of the preacher and under the teaching of your word, we pray that you would do just that. That you would teach us. Teach us how to live. uh, Teach us how to believe uh, and walk with you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the preacher is beginning to uh, draw his conclusions, as I said. Um, and the message today, right, if, if he's examined all of the ways in which life disappoints, all of the ways in which life falls short, then what do we do? How do we live? Well, in the words of those uh, modern day philosophers, Old Dominion, life is short, make it sweet, right? Right. Uh, Ecclesiastes 9 is, is, something like a, is something like a sandwich. Uh, a few weeks ago, um, Weston and I were over in Tuscaloosa at a basketball game, and we, uh, after the game, we went by a place called Insomnia Cookies. There's a reason it keeps you up at night. Okay? And they have these little cookie ice cream sandwiches. Ecclesiastes is not that tasty. Um, but it is, it is a sandwich of sorts, right? The the, the top piece, the top cookie, if you will, the top piece of bread is verses 1 through 6. Uh, and what the preacher says in verses 1 through 6 is that death is predictable. And no matter what you do, no matter who you are, you cannot escape it. And that's a bitter pill. And then the bottom piece, the bottom cookie, is verses 11 through 12. That even circumstances, uh, if death is predictable, circumstances in life are unpredictable. We, we don't know what's going to happen to us. Uh, in fact, a lot of the things that we wish would happen don't happen. Things don't turn all, always turn out the way we think they should. And so given those two realities, then verses 7 through 10 kind of form the nice ice cream and cookie mixture in the middle. And this is the sweet part. 
right? Given the fact that death is predictable and circumstances are unpredictable, therefore, we enjoy life. That's, that's the message of Ecclesiastes 9. So what do we mean? What does he mean there in verses 1 through 6, that death is predictable? Well, just before this, in chapter 8, he's been pointing out, observing that bad things happen to good people, often. And often good things happen to bad people, right? That, that it doesn't seem, it, it isn't a just world, that there's a lot of injustice And his conclusion from that is that man cannot find out God's work. And so then he opens chapter 9 with this observation. He says, the wise and the righteous and their deeds are in God's hand. God is in control. And that would seem to be good, except here's the problem. I can't tell whether it's love or hate. That's what he says. Whether it's love or hate, man cannot know. He's... Now listen, he's talking about life under the sun, life as we observe it. And let's be honest, sometimes, even if you acknowledge that your life is in God's hands, sometimes you go, God, what are you doing? Are you mad at me? What did I do to deserve this? And then other days, you go, thank you, God. What did I ever do to deserve this? From our perspective, we can't tell sometimes. Is it love? Is it hate? What's going on? Here's the problem, uh, and here's here's a big word for you. God's ways are inscrutable. That's a fancy way of saying we can't figure them out. That we don't... No, uh, we don't know why, we don't know what's going on, why, thing, why things happen the way that they do. It's beyond us. And the primary way that we see that futility is in the fact that the same event happens to everyone. Whether you're righteous or wicked, whether you're good, whether you're evil, whether you're religious or you're not, the same event happens to all, and that event is death. Right? It is the one certainty that we face. And so we understand there in verse 3 why the preacher is upset. He says, this is evil. This is bad. This is not good. That the same event should happen to every kind of person. Why is it like this? And notice what he says. He says, men's hearts are full of evil. Seems like he's thinking of Genesis 6, 5, where when God observes humanity before the flood, he says this, Every intention of the thoughts of his heart is only evil continually. Why does the same event happen to all? Because whether you're good or bad, our hearts are still filled with evil. We are the sons and daughters of Adam who rebelled. And we bear that curse because we, too, rebel. And so we die, right? Paul puts it this way in Romans 5.12. Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. That's why that that inevitable certainty comes to every single one of us. And yet, as the preacher says in verse 4, it's better to be alive than it is dead. 
Because at least the living have some hope. They have some life left to live. He even uses the very graphic proverb, right? He says, a living dog is better than a dead lion. To maybe understand that, you need to realize that uh, to, the, to the Hebrew people, dogs were not pets. Okay, they were scavenger animals. They were dirty, nasty scavenger animals. You would never invite one in your house. You certainly wouldn't invite it into your bed, right? Um, they would look at the way, they would look at the amount of money I spent on my dog, and they would say, there is something wrong with you, right? Um, that is, you know, versus the lion who is the king, right? The king of the animal world. What's the preacher saying? He's saying, oh, it's better to be a living scavenger than a dead king, right? Life is better than death because you at least have life left to live. But one day, the day is coming when all of our strongest passions, what we love, what we hate, what we envy, those will all be gone because we'll be gone. Death is the one certainty in life. But on top of that, there's also a lot of uncertainty. In verses 11 and 12, these two verses teach us, right, that, that life does not always turn out the way that the odds makers think that they will. The race is not always to the swift. In the 2008 Summer Olympics, uh, Lola Jones, excuse me, Lolo Jones, uh, she was predicted to be the gold medal winner. She was the fastest woman in the hurdles and so it was anticipated it was she was almost a shoe and she was going to be standing in the gold medal position after the race and so the race begins i don't know if you've ever watched hurdles runners run i don't know if you've ever watched them step over hurdles that's pretty much what they do like i'm not even sure that my hip will do what they do it's remarkable right and so the race begins and Lolo Jones is in the lead, and she comes around the corner, and they begin going over the hurdles. One, two, there's ten, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and she trips. The second to last hurdle. She has two more hurdles to clear, and she trips over hurdle number nine, collapses to the ground. She goes from first place to seventh place. And she is out of metal contention. The race is not to the swift. The battle is not to the strong. Goliath was an expert soldier. He had killed a lot of men in combat. He was stronger. He had better weapons. And he was killed by a shepherd boy who'd only ever taken out predators with a rock before. The battle is not to the strong. Sometimes wise people go hungry, bright people don't make money, and the college educated don't get the favors. He says this, time and chance happen to them all. Chance is not really the best translation. It's literally time and happenings, but we could put it this way. Uh, accidents happen. Circumstances change. A, a wrench is thrown in the gears. Man knows not his time. As he says in verse 12. William Ernest Henley wrote the poem Invictus. And it is quite a work of man's pride. He closes the poem this way. 
No matter how straight the gate or charged with punishments the scroll, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. The preacher looks at Henley and says, no, you're an idiot. You're a fool. You are the master of nothing. The only thing that you can predict for certain is that you will die. But you aren't even able to determine when that will be. If the fish knew that the net was there, he wouldn't swim into it. If the bird knew that the snare was there, she wouldn't step into it. Just like fishes and birds, so also our moment comes. There's a reason why the house always wins when you gamble. So because we can't predict how life is going to turn out, how then should we live? Given these two realities, death is certain, and yet... Circumstances are uncertain. How should we live with those two realities? And very simply, the answer of the preacher is we should enjoy life. We should enjoy the life that we have. Now, he's made that point before, but he really hammers it home here with seven commands. The first one he says is go. Get on with it. Time's a-wasting. Put down your phone. Get off the couch. Get on with living. Second, eat. Eat your bread with joy. God didn't make food just for survival. He made it pleasurable. So eat your bread with joy. Enjoy it. Don't grab a Pop-Tart on the way out, on the way to work, right? That's not enjoying your food. That's heartburn in about 30 minutes, right? Drink your wine with a glad heart. Right? Enjoy the good gifts that God has given. Why? Because God is pleased. So God has already approved what you do. God is pleased when we enjoy the things that he gives. Let your clothes be white. And let oil not be lacking on your head. What's that all about? Well, in the Middle East, in the ancient Near East, when you, uh, when you mourned, you put on sackcloth. And you poured ashes on your head. Right? But when you celebrated, particularly at a wedding, you wore white and you put oil on your skin to condition it against the dry air. So we might put this this way. Get showered. Dress well. Smile. Right. Enjoy your wife. Enjoy your spouse. Again, marriage is a gift to be enjoyed. Your wife is not someone simply to be tolerated. Your husband is not simply someone whom you put up with. David Gibson, a writer on Ecclesiastes, says this, If you're too busy to enjoy life together, you're too busy. Period. Enjoy your spouse. And then, work. Work hard. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Look for opportunity and pursue it. Why? Because you won't have that opportunity forever. You only have a limited amount of time where you can work and plan and love and hate. And so, make the most of the moment that you have. And this is really just a summary list. I love this list by N.D. Wilson in his book, Death by Living. He says things like, ride a bike, 
see the Grand Canyon, go to a play, learn to make music, visit the sick, care for the dying, cook a meal, feed the hungry, watch a movie, read a book, laugh until you cry, listen to Mozart, write a letter, play with your kids, learn a language, plan a church, start a school, talk about Jesus, travel to a place you've never been, give away your fortune and then some. Shape someone else's life by laying down your own. That's what it means to enjoy life as a gift. Now, is this the same as the pagan slogan, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die? In fact, that, that advice uh, comes to us from all kinds of places, in, especially, and, and as far back as we can go, the Epic of Gilgamesh, some of the oldest writing on the planet... Uh, Gilgamesh is searching for the meaning of life. He's searching for eternal life, and he gets to the garden of the gods, and he is told, what you are looking for, you cannot find. So go back home and eat and drink and be merry. Is that what Ecclesiastes is saying? Is that the same? No. And here's the difference. Ecclesiastes is in the same key, but he sounds a different note. He says, God is the one who gives us these things to enjoy. And he is pleased. When it says God has approved what you do, he is pleased when we enjoy what he has given. You see, there's a a difference between enjoyment and worship. God has given us good gifts, not so we will worship the gifts, but so we will worship the giver. In fact... When we worship the gifts, something happens, right? When, when we treat life's enjoyments as if they are God, then the reverse actually happens. We're no longer able to enjoy the gifts. They become these cruel, burdensome taskmasters because they can't satisfy us. And so we just keep getting more and more and more. And we come to the point where we're no longer able to enjoy them. And so the only way to enjoy the gifts that God has given is to see that he's the one who gives them and to worship him. Now, how does that square with Jesus? It's interesting to me that those who follow Jesus are often the no people. Right? I kind of of think sometimes we look like the, the stooped over librarian from the movies, you know, Sorry if you're an actual librarian. I'm not talking about you. It's just a picture of a librarian, right? You know, the old lady with the hooked nose and her glasses are sitting on the edge of her nose and she's got her finger wagging. No, no, shh, you know. I, I have a feeling sometimes we're, that, that Christians are perceived in that way and we're perceived in that way because often we act that way. We are the no people. We don't know how to enjoy what God has given. We somehow, for some reason, look and that that... Mood has been with Christianity for a long time. A lot of us feel like it's not okay to enjoy things. But that's not coming from the Bible. It comes from something else. I don't know where else. But in contrast to that, even though Jesus is called the man of sorrows, and he does grieve, and he does give his life away, he is a man of self-denial, we're also told at the same time that he came what? 
eating and drinking. He showed up at a wedding, and what did he do? He turned water into wine. Not grape juice. Good wine that made people happy. In fact, why does Jesus give his life away? To bring happiness, to bring joy. He told us not to worry about food and clothing, but to trust our Heavenly Father. Paul tells us to work hard at whatever we do as if we're working for the Lord. And whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. So, yes, Christian, consider this your free pass to actually enjoy life. Straighten up. Take the librarian glasses off. Stop wagging your finger and enjoy the good gifts that God has given you. And here's why we, and and not just in the life to come, right? We often think like, well, life will be miserable now, but then when in the life to come, then that's when it'll be good. No, no, no. We can enjoy life in the now because there is a life to come. You see, the reason we can eat and drink and make love now is because those are just signs of what is to come, of a banquet and a feast to come. I don't think it's any accident that Ecclesiastes 9, the the things that we're told to enjoy, evoke a marriage imagery, right? Wearing white, putting on oil, eating, drinking, your spouse. Because of Jesus, all of the good things in this life are just signposts for the life to come. What image is it that Jesus uses to describe that life? It's a wedding feast. Revelation 19, listen to this. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out. Have you ever been in a stadium uh, and everybody's cheering? Right? It's a deafening roar. That's what John hears. He hears this deafening roar that, that dwarfs every deafening roar that's ever deafened. And what are all of these voices singing? Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. Apart from Christ, eating and drinking is all there is. So if you're outside of Christ... You better get on with it. You better eat and you better drink. You better enjoy it. Because tomorrow it may be all over. The merry-go-round will stop and that'll be it. But if you're in Christ, then all your eating and drinking and celebrating is just a foretaste of the celebration that will last forever. And that's an invitation. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us a life that we can enjoy. And we can enjoy it most and best and only if we first enjoy you. And so would you help us to do that? To know you as the God who satisfies. To worship you as the God who gives good gifts. And Jesus to rest in you as our true husband who brings us all good things forever. 
We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me invite Steve Tipton up to lead us in a time of prayer. I enjoyed being with you all today. Join me in prayer. Dear Father God, we begin our time of prayer with you this morning uh, with the words written to Jude from your servant Paul. In the third chapter, he says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that once that was once for all delivered to the saints. And Lord, you are all powerful, the sustainer of our faith. And our very existence uh, is yours. And we thank you for being with us this beautiful morning, for providing spiritual food from your word, cleansing us with the pure living water of our Savior's intercession for us, renewing us in us a righteous heart and a right heart. We are yours, Father. Direct our path. Keep our thoughts and our actions on the things that really matter, the things that will last into eternity. Lord, we pray that our church would promote and defend the faith so that it may be proclaimed with clarity to our neighbors. We ask for the boldness and the power that filled the first century believers to be ours. That we might take the healing, redeeming good news of Christ's sacrifice and allow it to flow from our lives every day to others in love with our words, actions, and deeds. Use us for your purpose, Father. May we be good and faithful servants. Lord, we're broken in so many ways, and so we ask for your gift of healing to be upon those in our midst who are suffering this morning. We pray your mercy and purpose attend their pain, and we specifically lift up Lou Ann Palmer as she recovers from foot surgery, uh, pins and plates in her ankle now, for Jay Vincent, who's recovering from a fractured spine. Lord, uh, for Audra Wood, and who's suffered in a fall. Lord, to all those that uh, you have called uh, into uh, suffering, um, we just ask for a quick recovery and a return to work. And uh, Lord, uh, the practice of the gifts that you've given us. Lord, we end asking you for the Holy Spirit to remind and urge us often to lift our hearts and our needs to you in prayer throughout our day, that our activities would be in keeping with your design for each of our lives, and your way would be our way. Thank you, Father, for bringing us from sin and death to life forever in you. 
And we lift our prayers to you in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. I got so excited to hear Steve pray that we skipped.